1: This week on the Chicago Bears Review. Despite a 9-7 record and a second-place finish, the team in the Motor City is starting over with a brand-new head coach and the hopes of becoming the team they have long shown the potential to be in the Detroit Lions. Can the Lions conquer the North, or will they remain second fiddle? Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit joins us on the next NFC North Preview episode of The Chicago Bears Review. nfc north preview part number two talking about the detroit lions episode 12 out of 14 we are almost done which means that it's almost time for training camp it's almost time for the preseason and the 2018 regular season what's going on everybody larity back for part two of our nfc north preview uh, we got Jeremy Reisman coming up here in just a few minutes to help us preview these Lions, talk about what went sideways with them last year. Uh, even a 9-7 and seven team ended up firing Jim Caldwell, the head coach, and uh, moving on to Matt Patricia. Uh, the one thing that we did not cover in the interview, I was kind of disappointed because it's something that I, I think I talked about uh, when the Bears were considering Josh McDaniels as an option for head coach was that one of my biggest beefs with McDaniels was that he's um he would be part of the Belichick coaching tree and can you name someone who has been a success coming off of the Belichick coaching tree I mean everything just kind of proves that it can't be done without Belichick Charlie Weiss Romeo Cronell I mean Bill O'Brien is doing okay down in, in Houston with the Texans but you know he's not somebody that that another franchise is going to give up draft picks to get a hold of or anything. Uh, like that, I mean, it's just been. I mean, even even the guys like like Scott Pioli and that have left New England have never really had a success, uh, had any success leaving New England. I mean, these are like general managers. Uh, you know, I guess Thomas Dimitrov in in Atlanta would be the lone uh, exception because he's been able to get Atlanta to a Super Bowl that he lost to the Patriots. But nonetheless. You know the the guys that have had success in New England have had very much trouble uh, finding it somewhere else. So you know, how did he feel? Uh, did he want Matt Patricia? Was that the guy that was on the radar? We kind of skipped over that question and and went immediately into the impact that Patricia would have uh, on the team. So that was a missed opportunity on my part to to ask him how he felt about Patricia. Did he have? Somebody that he wanted the lines to to take or, or was you know was he a Patricia guy from the uh, beginning? So missed out on that uh, on that chance there. So uh, again, news and notes. I got nothing. You know, I uh, there's some really cool stuff going on right now. As far as uh, there was a video released earlier this week. Uh, Erlacher received his golden jacket in the mail. I'm guessing it's for like the kind of uh, final fitting uh, type thing, but it shows him uh, un- unboxing it, opening it up. Uh, I don't think we saw him try it on. I didn't really watch the, the video to be honest with you. but um, you know, I saw pictures online of him uh, holding the holding it up, uh, the patch on the inside with his name class of 2018 and then he's number 318 in the member number 318 in the uh, in the Hall of Fame. So uh, pretty exciting. He's gonna be our 28th Chicago bear in the Hall of Fame, which I think is still leaps and bounds ahead. Of anybody else uh, in the league uh, right now, so um, pretty cool. And then I just saw a video just a few moments ago, actually, of Mitch Trubisky working out privately with uh, with Kevin White. So maybe there's a little something there. Maybe there's something to be optimistic about. Of course, <laughs> if we we need for Kevin White uh, to to actually play football uh, this year. But I mean, it would be gr- it would be a really great thing. If Kevin White could emerge and, and be a contributor uh, this year, because anybody, I mean, we've done 12 episodes now, or This is number 12 right now, previewing the upcoming season. Uh, aside from maybe a short discussion, I don't even remember who it was with, uh, about Kevin White and and having that whole, um, we still don't know what we have in Kevin White uh, discussion. When nobody's talking about Kevin White. We're talking about Taylor Gabriel. We're talking about Allen Robinson. We're talking about Trey Burton, uh, year two of Adam Shaheen. We're talking about the possibilities of Tariq Cohen playing the Kareem Hunt role uh, in the offense and all that kind of stuff. Nobody is talking about Kevin White and what he may or may not be able to do uh, in 2018. So, I mean, this guy, he has a lot riding on this season. You know, he's in the final year of his rookie contract because the Bears did not pick up his his fifth-year option. He's basically not being counted on for anything this year because we went out and signed, uh, you know, Burton and uh, and uh, Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, and then drafted Anthony Miller. So at best, right now, Kevin White is number four uh, on the depth chart. You don't really expect much from your fourth receiver. So, I mean, he's... Uh, and not to mention, we brought in guys like Benny Fowler and, and, and things like that. I mean, there's there. it's a crowded wide receiver room, and it, it was put together with the thought, essentially, that Kevin White wasn't going to be a part of it, or at least not a uh, important part of it. Because we're counting on Allen Robinson. We're counting on Taylor Gabriel. We're counting on Anthony Miller. We are not counting on Kevin White. So, it's... Uh, It's uh, it's interesting. At the very least, it looks like Kevin White has an endorsement from his quarterback, the guy that will be throwing the footballs uh, this year. So maybe that's a positive thing and hopefully that carries over. And I mean, as a Bear fan, you have to be rooting for Kevin White. You you have to be. You know, we drafted the guy. His his career thus far has been nothing but tragedy. One injury after another. It's got to be eating him up inside that this is way that, you know, drafted seventh overall, drafted to be a number one receiver, drafted to be replacement for for another guy who could be a Hall of Famer in Brandon Marshall, and for him to come in and not be even one-tenth of one percent of what we needed him to be, what we wanted him to be, what we hoped he would be. And here he is in year four. This is his last shot. It very well could be his last shot in the NFL, period, uh, if if things don't go well for him this year, so I mean it, it's it's a um, it's a go for broke year uh, for Kevin White, and I think it's a good thing that uh, that uh, Trubisky thinks enough of him, or is being enough of a leader at the very least to to have some private time with him to try to help him get ready. Uh, for this year so I mean I think that's a positive thing uh, to see a video of the two of them working out together working on their timing working on the routes and and things like that I think that's a good thing so um, like I said that's really all I got right now nothing uh, coming out as far as uh, you know headlines or anything like that the one troubling thing I have to say is that uh, today is the 7th uh, of July we start training camp in 12 days on the 19th and I, unless I completely missed it, and I don't think that I would, we haven't signed Roquan Smith yet. Now, I know it's it's not a big deal. Maybe it's all about the, you know, the language, because the money is kind of set in stone for the most part. Um, it's probably got something to do with the language and, you know, all that kind of stuff in the contract, the tedious stuff that we as fans don't really care about. But um, haven't inked him to a con, everybody but him has signed to a contract for the Bears Uh, So far, I mean, all those guys, Daniels and Miller and and, uh, Bilal Nichols and all those guys uh, signed contracts like before the end of April or something like that. I mean, it was really, really soon after they got drafted, they were assigned to deals and Roquan Smith being the eighth overall pick. I'm I'm sure it has something to do with with the language of the contract. They're probably going back and forth on and nothing to do with with money itself. So but I'm sure that will take care of itself uh, and he will be in camp on time uh, when the bears report uh, later on this month. So anyway, that's all I got. We're going to step aside and go ahead and bring in our good friend, uh, Jeremy Reisman from pride of Detroit on SB nation and the POD cast, which uh, I kind of poke fun of him at him at the end of the, uh, the interview it's, it's genius and stupid all at the same time, because if you search POD cast on Google, you're probably going to get the definition of what a podcast is. I'm sure that the POD cast doesn't even fall on the first page of search results or anything like that. It's like I said, it's genius because it's perfect pride of Detroit POD cast. It's perfect. And yet it could not be, have been a bigger mistake at the same time. I love it. So anyway, bringing in our good friend, Jeremy Reisman to help us preview the 2018 Detroit lions. of our nfc north preview uh brings us to michigan to to talk about the detroit lions who finished in second place last year the green bay packers did not make the playoffs finishing well aside from the bears last in the division and uh to help us navigate our way through these uh these muddy waters for the uh lions our good old friend jeremy reisman from pride of detroit jeremy welcome back man
2: hey thanks for having me i'll be here anytime all
1: right and uh so so you're in a transition right now not you know not only is your team in a transition with a new head coach and all that kind of stuff but you're transitioning to transitioning back back this way towards the midwest
2: yeah yeah i uh i've been in los angeles for the past nine years but uh this Sunday, literally about four days from when we're recording this, I am uh, I'm driving back to Michigan, where I'm going to make it my home for the foreseeable future.
1: Nice, nice. So, what brings you back?
2: Part of it is is the job of, of being the Detroit Lions blogger. We uh, we actually have an in with the media now, um, with the team. We we're able to cover games from inside the press box, home wow. games at least. Love so, it. So. Uh, yeah, we, we actually did that last year. I, I was able to delegate it to some of my staff, but uh, they're kind of t- caught up in their own careers this year, and I kind of wanted to give it a shot this year, so uh, I'll be there.
1: Yeah, that's going to suck, huh? <laughs> games and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'll, that'll, be, yeah. Uh, that'll be awful. I
2: mean, I haven't even been to Ford Field in probably three, four years, and, you know, I used to make Michigan my home, so it's it's been a while. It'll be nice to be there again.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, 11 years since I've been to Ford Field. I was there in 07, uh, the famous 34-point fourth quarter uh, game between the Bears and the... uh, Lions, where uh, it was like 13 to seven or something like that at at the end of the at the end of the third quarter, and we somehow lost that game like 37 to 24 or something. It's just bananas how the Lions just racked up the points in the in the fourth (laughs) quarter, and I got to sit there and watch it all happen in person, which was super awesome. Um, But that
2: that may have been the last time the Lions won in that building for some time. (laughs)
1: You know what, that was, I, I think they maybe rattled off one or two more because I think that was the year that they started seven and two and then finished like two and seven the rest of the way or something yeah. like that uh-huh. and uh, ended up not making the playoffs when they were a juggernaut for the first eight, nine weeks of the uh, season. And then of course we all know what happened the following year in 2008. So yeah, I mean, but this was late September, like week four. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm sure they rattled off one or two more before the end of the season there, but um we fast forward to 2017, and um, it's it was an interesting season coming into it, or at least a, an interesting take on uh, on the year. The, the the you know everybody basically except for the Bears was looking to improve uh, in 2017 as far as you know you know where they were in the division and uh, and everything. The Lions had made some moves. The Vikings looked good on paper. The Packers are still the Packers. And then as the season starts to unfold, the first four weeks out of the gate. The Lions are three and one, sitting on top of the division.
2: Yeah, man, I, I was actually at that Week Four game at Minnesota too, and I can't remember a high like that as as a Lions fan in a long time. Because you're talking about at this point, those wins are coming against the Cardinals, which were still considered a pretty good team. The Giants, who made the playoffs the previous year, the Falcons were was the one loss, and it was that 10 second runoff game where the Lions were within inches of beating them. Right. They were they were NFC championship champion uh that year and then obviously the vikings who were playing really well at that point in the season um and for the Lions to beat them on the road was really a huge victory at the time so they're three and one at this point the power rankings are putting them at like number two number three which is something i don't think i've ever really witnessed in my adult life so things were really really hyped but uh We'd all come back down to reality very quickly after right. that. Right, I mean,
1: it was something very, very impressive about that win at Detroit because the one thing that the Lions weren't known for is defense, and it was defense all day, only allowing the one touchdown uh, to the Vikings. I mean, usually if the if the Lions only score fourteen points, you guys not only do you lose, but you lose by a lot. And yeah. instead, you only manage fourteen points because the Lion, or excuse me, the Vikings defense was good all throughout the year, but somehow your defense was better that day. So that's why after the first four weeks, people are kind of looking up at the lines like, man, two, second, maybe third best team in the league right now. That's not too much of a stretch. Look at what they've done in the first four weeks. And then you run into Carolina, a a close loss there, and then the wheels come off for a game uh, against the Saints where it's more of a typical, or what people have come to uh, know as a typical game, for the Lions where it's basically you know I know the object of the game is to score more points but it was one of those games where you had to outscore your opponent because your defense was doing you no favors
2: yeah yeah and that kind of became the theme the rest of the way for the most part because like you said in those beginning of the games those first four weeks the Lions were winning in a way they've never done before not only with defense just like they didn't need Matthew Stafford to throw the ball that much I think against the Giants he threw the ball for like 160, 170 yards, which is kind of unheard of in a, in a lion's win. Right. But, but then, yeah, I don't, the, the defense just kind of fell back to reality there. they did, they weren't getting the turnovers that they were getting in the first four weeks. Um, they ran into some really good offenses in the Panthers, the saints um, later on, you know, uh, actually later on, it, it, it kind of cleared up in terms of how good the, the offenses they were playing, but, that streak right before the bye week was really really tough. They fell behind a lot against the Panthers. Then I think they were down by 35 at one point to the Saints. Matthew Stafford kind of pulled them back and made them close in both of those games, but it was clear they were they there were some serious issues with the team at that point.
1: Right. You get the bye week, you come back on Sunday night football, a close loss to the Steelers. Then you you rattle off some wins three straight. You beat the Packers at home on Monday night for the second time in A quarter of a century, Um, you know, it doesn't happen much that the the Detroit wins games in in Lambeau. You beat the Browns. I mean, everybody did. And then a really fun, really interesting game against Chicago. You know, you guys win it in uh, at the last minute when Connor Barth, our super awesome kicker, decides to put it in a different (laughs) zip code than where the uprights actually were uh, at the time. So we don't go to overtime. You guys walk away with the with the victory there. So after three straight wins, you come to Thanksgiving, a back-and-forth game with the Vikings, you come up short there, and then a really inexplicable loss to the Ravens the the, the week after that, 44-20. to 20. What happened in that game?
2: It was just a disaster from the get-go, to be honest. Uh, towards the end, Matthew Stafford got hurt in that game, and, and Jake Rudock came in and promptly threw a pick-six, but the game was already over by that point. Um, the offensive line was just a mess. Stafford was getting beat up all day. And, and the defense was just playing inconsistent. And you know, that wasn't a good year for the Ravens last year. And right. Joe Flacco was was getting all the talk of, you know, is he not a lead anymore? I, I mean, that talk has kind of always persisted. But at this point in the season, people thought, you know, Joe Flacco's at the twilight of his career. Then he comes in uh, to Baltimore against the Lions and just kind of lights them up and essentially ends the Lions season. You know, they, they dropped to six and six at that point. They would have had to win out to even have a chance to make the playoffs. They don't end up doing so. So I feel like the season was just kind of ended at that point in in the year. And really all the problems that showed themselves at different points in this season all came to fruition during that game. The defense wasn't doing anything. The Lions running game wasn't getting going as always. And they weren't just getting the turnovers that they needed to to compete with some of these better teams in the league.
1: And while it was a daunting task to have to win the last four games of the season to win out, the road to those four victories wasn't that tough on paper. You got Tampa mm-hmm. Bay and Chicago, one very disappointing team and one very bad team. You had Cincinnati, another not very good team and then Green Bay which had written the season off and put Aaron Rodgers back on the bench and you know, so it didn't look like 10 and 6 was going to be difficult, but it wasn't going to be impossible. I mean, you had a couple of division games in there, uh, but the, the if if um, if if Jim Caldwell had one foot in the grave after the loss to Baltimore, that Cincinnati game was the nail in his coffin. I mean, you were only about a week or two removed from the Bears going into Cincinnati and murdering the Bengals. I mean, made it look easy in the process, and here a week or two later, you guys same place, same team. And you you lose, and that pretty much put an end to your season, correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were scenarios in which everything had to go right, where the Lions could still mathematically make it after that game. But at that point, I think Lions fans wouldn't have even accepted it. Like they they didn't want to make the playoffs at that point because the faults in the team were so apparent at this point that they knew it wasn't going to amount to anything. Like they for something would have to miraculously happen for the Lions to for that 2017 Lions team to, to win a playoff game. Right. And that's ultimately what I think Lions fans are really craving since it hasn't happened in 25 years. So, uh, yeah, at that point, not only was the Lions season over, I think fans were pretty much over Jim Caldwell at that point. There was a point at the very end of that Bengals game where the, the Lions could have challenged a play, and it would have been very, very close. Lions didn't even bother to challenge it, even though Jim Caldwell had a good long look at it. And I think... Uh, I, I think, think that was kind of the the very specific straw that broke the camel's back with, with him and Lions fans at least.
1: Right. I mean it's just you know, you know, looking at the schedules like you got some very good looking wins in here. I mean it's it's not too out, it's not too outrageous that you'd lost to Atlanta, Carolina and the Saints. Those were all playoff teams. So I mean that those aren't bad losses. But to come across and, and you know, that, that Ravens loss, that Bengals loss, those are two really really tough losses uh, to to absorb and and to lose them in the way that they were. And granted, they're both road losses, but they were losses to teams that were not playing very well and were definitely not as good as the Lions were on either of those Sundays.
2: Yeah, and and even if you look at some of those wins, like they aren't as impressive as they should have been. And I know this is the NFL. You'll take whatever you can get, but like, This team was losing to the Browns in the second half of the game. They were down seven. They were tied going into the fourth quarter. Um, They struggled with the Bears pretty much twice, and no offense to the Bears, but they weren't that good last year. No, we
1: weren't, yeah.
2: Um, The Buccaneers' season was also pretty much over, and the Lions only beat them by three thanks to some late scores there. Um, This team was just very flawed, and they they still had the talent, I think, to match essentially their 9-7 record. I think that's about where their talent level was, but – to say that this team was, you know, only a player two away from, you know, being an NFC championship contender, I think would be dishonest. They they were a middle of the road team, and that's where they finished.
1: Right. So nine and seven, uh, despite a winning season, Jim Caldwell is shown the door um, after some. Uh, actually, it probably wasn't even that much. I mean, he would. It basically had to keep it under wraps because he made it all the way to the Super Bowl, but it was like one of the worst kept secrets in football. By the time it was finally announced. Matt Patricia, the longtime defensive coordinator of the Patriots, hired as the, uh, the next head coach of the Lions. And in a very similar move in the opposite way of Matt Nagy coming in and keeping his defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, Matt Patricia comes in keeps as a defensive-minded coach and keeps his offensive coordinator, and the man with the worst name in all of sports, Jim Bob Cooter.
2: Clearly you mean the best name, right?
1: No, I don't. Sorry. It's... <laughs> No, that is a horrendous name, you know, so much. Yeah, it's horrible, but he (laughs) stays, you know, Caldwell leaves, everybody else goes, but Jim Bob stays. So, um, you know, is it very much in in the same vein that we're, you know, that's the the side of the football that was working. So we're going to keep him and we're going to, you know, steady as she goes on that much like the Bears with Fangio and the defense was the better half of the team. A year ago, and I'm going to work on the um, I'm going to work on the defense this year, as, as in the Lions, and uh, help try to balance the team out.
2: Yeah, and in, in a way, I I think there's no doubt that the Lions' offense was better than their defense last season. But I really think the thing that kept his job was really his his relationship with Matthew Stafford. You know, he was the former quarterbacks coach here, and ever since he's taken over as offensive coordinator, Matthew Stafford has been playing at an outstanding level. You see his. Completion percentages up three or four points. His passer rating is in the high 90s now, perpetually. He's essentially statistically been a top five quarterback ever since Jim Bob Guter came around, and it's hard to throw that away. The problem, though, is that the running game has been awful. It was 32nd last year. I think it was 32nd in 2015 as well, and like 30th in in 2016. So it hasn't been able to get out of the bottom of the league. And what's interesting about what the Lions did with their coaches this offseason is when they fired Jim Caldwell, They only fired one other coach at that time, and that was their offensive line coach. Hmm. And so they made it clear, like, those two positions, like, I don't care what the new coach comes in and does with the rest of the staff, but he's not keeping those two. And so the message was clear. The offensive line coach wasn't doing his job right. And the more we get removed from his firing, the more we hear that the players didn't like him, that he wasn't meshing well with the other coaches, all the sort of stuff that he was just a bad fit and not doing his job right so um I think Lions fans are holding on to that hope that that that's what's going to eventually fix the uh the running game along with some of the transactions they did in the offseason which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit but uh yeah I, I think Jim Bob Cooter kept his job mostly because of his relationship with Matthew Stafford and basically everyone else is is just uh essentially a, a Matt Patricia guy at this point um He's either work with most of the guys that's on the defensive staff or, or knows someone who has worked with him in the past and that makes a lot of sense for a first-time coach you want to surround yourself with people that you know people that know you and people that you know you can work with comfortably in a, in a work environment
1: so any any uproar or anything like that with the departure of Caldwell after a winning season or what were, were Lions fans really just over it at that point
2: for the majority of Lions fans, I think they'd had it. They'd realize that this team is kind of plateaued. There was a little bit of backlash, but for the most part, I think... I mean, if if you're in Detroit, people can get really sick of you really quick. I, I <laughs> This this fan base has been waiting long enough for something good to happen and for this team to just be meddling for, for three or four years under Caldwell. Like Two playoff appearances is great in four years, but... You need to get over that hump eventually. In two nine and back-to-back nine and seven seasons, I realized Lions hadn't put together back-to-back winning seasons in a, in a very long time since the mid to early 90s. But nine and seven is hardly <laughs> hardly a winning record, and this team still hasn't been competitive enough against the best teams in the league. They're, they're starting to get close. But they're still not winning those games. And in order to be a really good team in this in this league, you have to beat the best. And you have to beat them consistently. And Jim Caldwell just wasn't – he you know, he was kind of an unpopular guy from the get-go. He wasn't the guy that most people wanted when the Lions had fired Jim Schwartz. I was actually amongst that group. I, I was not a huge Jim Caldwell fan. He had actually started to win me over a little bit by the end, oddly enough. But – he was kind of short with the media. Um, he, he was not necessarily a friendly public figure, even though if you got to know him privately, I'm sure he's the sweetest man in the world. He seems very sweet. Right. It's just he, he, you know, people pick up on these sort of things when the team is losing. Uh, you know, he's, he's very dismissive of the media. Whereas, like, if you're a winning coach and you're dismissive of the media, it's like, oh, good, he's not getting involved in all the distractions. But when you're losing, it's, why isn't he telling us what's going on? Why is he being really short with the media? Um, but, yeah, ultimately, the Lions squandered the 2017 season when they had a good lead at the beginning of the year, and I think that ultimately turned fans against him pretty much permanently.
1: Sure, sure. So we move over into the into the offseason, and um, some interesting signings, one in particular – that uh, is going to perk your ears up uh, just for the fact alone that the guy in the last two seasons has played two, for two different teams, both of which have gone to and won the Super Bowl, of course, that being running back LeGarrette Blunt.
2: Yeah, uh, that that was actually a guy that I was really hoping they'd target last year before the Eagles grabbed him. And um, general manager Bob Quinn actually said they they tried. They tried to get him last year, and it probably would have helped this team quite a bit because their short yardage situation was by far the worst in the league. Um, pro uh, Football Outsiders has a stat called, I think it's called Power Efficiency. Basically, uh, it shows the conversion percentage of third and goal situations, fourth and goal situations, third and fourth down and three yards or less. And the lines were converting, I think, around 37% of the time on those downs, whereas the rest of the league was converting around 50 hmm. So and that's the average so the lines are over 10 percent under the average of the league and so I think the hope is that LeGarrette Blunt will come in be that kind of power back be that guy that can get you know down and dirty the offensive line doesn't have to be blocking its best he can break the first couple tackles and just kind of put his head down and pick up one or two yards because if the Lions would have had that guy last year they probably would have scored a heck of a lot more points.
1: Sure and then you know it's it's something that's been missing from the Lions, you know, without much exaggeration since Barry Sanders retired, and that was twenty years ago now. Yeah. I mean, it's for the for the you know, Lions and top rushing offense, not a really a sentence you've been able to put together for, for quite some time. Not saying Legarrett Blunt is gonna come in and, and take over uh the league out there in Detroit, but he's definitely gonna give you uh more than one bullet in the chamber as far as like as long if, if Stafford isn't throwing it, then you guys aren't making it.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Lions did just about everything a single a team could do in a single offseason to fix the running game. Like I mentioned, fired their offensive line coach, got Jeff Davidson, who's been around the league for several years with several different teams, and has turned around some, some of the worst running offenses in the league. Um, they drafted Frank Ragnow, and, and I'm sure we'll get more into the Lions draft in a little bit, but basically an interior guy that, Kind of completes the set for Bob Quinn. Now Bob Quinn, in his third year as general manager, all has guys that he either got through free agency or the draft. Starting five on the offensive line, got it turned over in, in three years. So that's pretty impressive to me, at least that that he was able to do all that in three years. But he had most of those in place last year, and it didn't seem to work out. Partially due to injury, partially maybe due to coaching, maybe also because these players aren't necessarily as good as uh, as he thinks they are. But they're out of excuses to be the worst running team in the league now. Um, they have a you know a rookie running back as well. I didn't even mention Carryon Johnson in the second round. So basically they're starting running back from last year Amir Abdul is now third string, maybe even fourth string <laughs> and that just goes to show you like how much overhaul this entire running game has gone in just a couple of months and I'm sure Matthew Stafford is hoping it all comes together, if not for his own protection, then just for the team's general good. But um, it's still, at this point, it's still more hypothetical than, than actual, uh, obviously, any sort of results. But the, the outlook is certainly much improved for this running game in 2018.
1: Sure. And then on the defensive side, uh, you know, Patricia brings in some – What I when the, the article that I was reading said that he thought the linebacking position was one of the weakest – or was one of the weakest positions on the team, so he brings in a Chicago transplant and Christian Jones, sign him away from the Bears. Uh, Devon Kennard uh, is going to be more of a pass rushing guy, from what I understand. Brought him in from the uh, from the Giants uh, and everything to to try to bolster um, that uh, linebacking core. Also, while saying goodbye to to hear Whitehead at the same time.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's honestly the biggest question heading, I think, into the season with the defense is, is whether that all amounts to an upgrade or a downgrade because Taylor Whitehead was playing at a pretty good level. Not great, not horrible uh, in 2017. He'd kind of come into his own, but I don't think he necessarily fit what um, Matt Patricia wants to do. And Matt Patricia comes from a linebacker background. He was a linebacker's coach for several years with the Patriots before they uh, upgraded him to defensive coordinator. So he knows exactly what he wants. The question is whether the Lions have the, the players to fit that need. You know, Jared Davis will also be entering his second year. I think the hope is that he progresses quite a bit because he had a very up-and-down rookie year. Um, like you mentioned, Devon Kennard, he's a guy that can play a lot of positions, but I think you're right in saying that he's going to be that pass-rushing guy. And that's really going to be a big difference in this unit is they're, they're going to try to get a lot of pass rush from that linebacking core because I think they only had two-and-a-half sacks from their linebackers last year. And the Lions front four, not really all that impressive on paper. So I think they're they're really expecting these guys to kind of have a different role than they did back uh, back with their former defensive coordinator and really kind of sharpen their, their pass rushing tools. And, and part of that will also be another second-year player, Jalen Reeves-Maven, who's taken, I believe, in the fourth round last year. Um, just kind of took rotational snaps last year, but I think he has a chance to, to fight for a starting role this year.
1: And then uh, you know you you um, it's probably more of a as and an a subtraction as far as the name is concerned. Maybe not so much in production, considering that he was up there in years. Halati Nada gone. You bring in Sylvester Williams from Tennessee, who's only going into his fifth year. So at the very least, you get a lot younger in the middle of that D, uh, defensive line. How was how was Nada last year? I don't I didn't hear much about him.
2: Well, that that's the interesting thing. You know that point in the season where I said the defense fell apart. Yeah, that lined up pretty close to when Holodi Nada got injured and out for the season. Right Uh, around I think it was week five against the Panthers, I wanna say. Um, and the run defense took a noticeable step back since then. And I don't want to blame it all on the loss of Nada. I think that's oversimplification, but it certainly didn't help. And I'm not sure what I think of Sylvester Williams. And I'm very eager to see what he has in him because the lines center of the defensive line is definitely a a big question mark. Ashawn Robinson is hoping to take a big step uh, the Lions also drafted Deshaun Hand out of Alabama, his former teammate, uh, this year. And and I think Sylvester Williams right now is penciled in probably to be a starter. But the interesting thing about a lot of these signings uh, on offense and defense and free agency was that they're all one-year deals. So mm-hmm. all these guys are essentially on prove-it deals. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be around for that or if, or if the Lions are playing on being stab, stopgap guys, but... They certainly have the motivation to to be at their very best in 2018. And whether that works as motivation for some of these guys or doesn't remains to be seen. But Sylvester Williams is one of those guys I'm really going to have my eye on early in training camp and in the preseason just to see what we can expect out of him in 2018.
1: So speaking of the draft, actually, before we get to the draft, um, some interesting departures. We already talked about Haladi Nada, hear uh, Whitehead you know, off to Philadelphia and Oakland, not is still giving it a try, man. Good for him. Um, but Eric Ebron, a uh, number 10 overall pick, uh, for the lions never, I mean, showed flashes in his time in Detroit, but never really showed someone worthy of a, of the 10th overall, uh, selection. He's released. He catches on with the, with the Colts, unless my sources lied to me again. You and, got that one, right? <laughs> uh, okay, cool. And then DJ Hayden, the a cornerback for you guys is off to, uh, Jacksonville, along with uh, with Don Carey as well. I mean, any one of these guys going to be particularly missed?
2: I think it's got to be Eric Ebron. It, okay. it's, it was a really, really tough decision by Bob Quinn by his own admission, and he waited until kind of the last second there. Because last year the Lions actually exercised his fifth-year option. Oh, so okay. this year he was due $8.25 million as part of that fifth-year option. Unfortunately for him, none of it was guaranteed, so the Lions could essentially cut him and save all that money, and that's what they ended up doing. It was a tough decision because he started the 2017 season very slowly. The Boo Birds were really out. He's a guy who struggled with drops his entire career. Right. I've always thought they were a bit overstated, but Lions fans caught wind of them, and any time it would happen, you know that mob mentality would just get louder and louder. And by the time the trade deadline hit, there was rumors that the Lions were really trying to move them, and, and basically every source that I've heard was that they really wanted to, but they couldn't get something done. So they really didn't have any choice but to cut him at, right at the beginning of free agency this year, and they haven't really found a, I would say, a, a number one starter to fill his role. They, they did sign Luke Wilson out of Seattle, who has about a half a year experience as a starter. They also got Levine Toilolo, who's a good kind of two-way guy that can block and catch, but none of these guys is really going to knock your socks off. And maybe the Lions are hoping that last year's fourth round pick, Michael Roberts, will, will come in and assume that number one tight end role. But at this point, I think you have to, you can pretty safely say that the Lions tight end crew Uh, has been downgraded and that's kind of the only spot on offense where I think there was really a clear step back and I don't know it was a tough decision I I wasn't for the decision when it first happened because I do think Eric Ebron was kind of starting to get his stuff together but based on what I've heard since the Lions made that move both sides were just ready to move on and maybe Eric does well in Indianapolis if if Andrew Luck ever throws a football again Uh, I, I think that's a good spot for him to land but I think I think now, in retrospect, having heard what was going on, kind of in the background, Lions kind of had no choice but to cut Eric Ebron, and we'll see where they move from there. But uh, you know, they have some other good receiving options outside of tight ends, where where they may be able to compensate that loss.
1: So we move on to the to the draft now. Uh, we, we've already kind of mentioned your your top two picks. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we got started, saying that. You know, the picks weren't exactly sexy, but they're definitely necessary, especially your top choice, your first round pick, because everybody always gets super excited when you take a center in the first round, (laughs) especially when it's a guy that's, you know, from Arkansas, which didn't exactly light up the world last year, Uh, uh, you know, and it comes from the SEC, so he's got a pedigree as far as that goes, but 20 overall, you take a center. And, uh, you know, it's uh, not exactly one where, you know, probably, you know, Lions fans were dancing in the streets to hear we got Frank Ragnall.
2: Yeah, it was it was actually a very, very big surprise because it's interesting. The first two years of Bob Quinn's reign as general manager for the Detroit Lions, the media pretty much guessed his first round picks right in back to back years. Everyone seemed to know it was going to be Taylor Decker his first year. And uh, I'm drawing a blanket who was last year. Uh, oh, Jared Davis, and and so people were just kind of thinking like, okay, maybe we can get this one or two. Out of I think over a thousand mock drafts that we tra- that we tracked at, at Pride of Detroit, one had them picking Frank Ragnow. One, and so it, it caught a lot of people by by surprise. I think a lot of people didn't even know who Frank Ragnow was, but it was a, a pick that I think people quickly warmed to. Um, Pro football focus said that this guy hasn't allowed a sack in two straight years. Um, the, the biggest, I think surprise with this pick also is that, you know, he was listed as a center. Everyone, he played at a set at center his senior year at Arkansas, but the Lions have only really been practicing him at left guard with the first team offense. Hmm. So it looks like he's actually going to move to left guard, which is a position he didn't play in college. He played right guard in college for a year, but not left guard. So, it's it's interesting that they go all in on a guy that maybe some people didn't even think was the number one center in, on the board. And it's even a little more interesting that they're not playing him at that position. But like I said, this, this offense needed the last piece of the puzzle for this offensive line to get the running game going, to finally protect Matthew Stafford, to make sure he's not, once again, one of the top five sacked quarterbacks in the league. And so, like you said, not a sexy pick, but one that I think was necessary.
1: Yeah, a lot of people would argue that the guy we got in the second round was the best center on the board, yeah. and he was, the, what, the third one, third or fourth one taken uh, in this year's draft for one reason or another. Of course, talking about James Daniel, and oddly enough, he has also, I mean, he's been uh, platooning between the two, but right now he's penciled in as our starting left guard. So I go. I thought them drafting James Daniels meant that, uh, you know, the, the great mystery as to where Cody Whitehair was going to play is, you know, because I even did one of my knee-jerk reactions watching that pick take place in the draft saying, well, Cody Whitehair just became a guard because we drafted James Daniel, the center, out of Iowa. And not even an hour later when Ryan Pace is doing his presser uh, with the Chicago media, he's like, yeah, we're going to put him in at uh, left guard. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, okay. well, I
2: mean, it, it's good to have that sort of uh, versatility, especially if, you know, injury hits, right. um, especially at center. Like you don't it, the last thing you want is a brand new center a guy who's never played the position or a guy that doesn't have a rapport with your quarterback snapping in the ball. Um, but the Lions are kind of in a similar situation, too. They, they drafted Graham Glasgow a couple of years ago out of Michigan. Um, he's played both center and left guard since he's been here, mostly left guard. But now it looks like he's sliding into center. And so the Lions also have a guy, two guys, essentially, that can play both left guard and center. And it looks like they have it settled, but you never really know when uh, when it's not even training camp yet.
1: It's funny how they move offensive linemen uh, around. Like, it's so easy to move from one position to the next. And I speak with some knowledge as a former offensive lineman myself. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, it's difficult just going from right guard to left guard because everything is backwards you know, yeah. and things like that. But I think it's hilarious. On from the Bears' perspective, we drafted Cody Whitehair, who played his entire career as a guard and finished his career as a tackle. Start him immediately at center, and <laughs> then we draft James Daniel, who's played center his entire career at Iowa, and we're starting him immediately at guard. So I mean, it just shows what what we know as far as you know, like hey, best center on the board. Put him in at guard. That makes a lot of sense. You know, here's a guy who's never played the position in his life. Make him play center as a rookie in the NFL. That'll work out gangbusters. So hopefully the Bears know what they're doing, and hopefully the Lions know what they're doing as far as, you know, Glasgow staying the center and your center from Arkansas playing guard for you. So one can only hope. So we go to the second round, and not only did the Lions go ahead and get a running back in the second round, but they traded up. To get him, they went up like eight spots, gave up a fourth round pick to take carry on Johnson. Did you was Grice still on the board at that time? The running back from, uh, uh,
2: I, believe, I believe he was.
1: Okay, I was know, was yeah, there, I'm,
2: yeah, yeah, guys was definitely on the
1: board. He guys, not Grice, guys was, uh, was, yeah. he was still on the board. He went in the 50s, I think, something like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. but there you are at 43, and carry on Johnson is the guy was was this at least the pick that you guys were looking forward to, or were you thinking another position at this point?
2: No, I think I think most Lions fans were expecting a running back in the second round, and Geis wasn't necessarily, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Arian Johnson wasn't necessarily the guy that everyone wanted, and I feel like Geis, you know, Geis was slipping at that point. A lot of people thought he should have gone in the first round. A lot of people slotted him to the Lions in the first round at 20th overall, so the fact that he was still there, I think a lot of Lions fans were expecting his name to be read at that point. But overall, I think the consensus has been very good for that pick. I was actually not for it that much. My reasoning just being the trade-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, On Johnson was actually my, my pick, my best fit for the Lions in this draft. I really like his running style. I really like his uh, his speed. I, I, I don't know. It just seems like he's a very good fit for this, this style of Lions uh, run offense that I'm expecting them to run this year. But the trade-up was, was tricky for me to swallow because, in general, I'm, I'm team never trade-up in the draft um, because the draft is just so hit and miss that the fact that you're you know giving away essentially more lottery tickets uh, for a chance at one guy being successful doesn't seem like a smart strategy to me. Mm-hmm. But if that's their guy and it works out, everyone forgets that they trade-up for him. So, whole pick. I think the Lions definitely need their, their running back crew, especially even if Amir Abdullah was going to be their starting running back in 2018. He, he's on the last year of his rookie contract. Um, if he were to have a good year, that probably means the Lions would have had to spend too much to keep him around the following year. If he continues his kind of mediocre career, then the Lions probably would have moved on from him anyways and would have had to draft a guy next year. So if, if they really believe in Kerryon Johnson, then then it was a good move. Um, I'm, I'm very excited now that he's on the team to see what he has. But uh, it's always tough for me to, to swallow giving up a, a, a day-two pick in order to move up for a guy that could have potentially been there you know 10 picks later or however long it was until the Lions picked again
1: also a very similar situation that bears uh, are facing Um, we gave up next year's second round pick ironically to take um, a player at the pick you gave new england in the first place uh, 51 Mm -hmm. we ended up taking uh, anthony miller and we gave up the 2019 second rounder to make it happen now if Anthony Miller comes in and, and uh, is, is good on the promise to score eight touchdowns this year, which is which would be mon- momentous considering that Trubisky threw seven last right. year, uh, if he can give eight to just one guy, then we had a pretty good year. Um, but, you know, like you said, if, if it works out, nobody will care that we gave a second-round pick. It will be a small price to pay if this kid ends up being everything he says he can do. But uh, you know, if he comes in and he has a bad year, or if he gets hurt, or something like that, it's going to look like a really, really bad move.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the feeling's the same here because what was originally giving up a fourth-round pick, the Lions actually traded up back to get into the fourth round using next year's third. So now essentially, wow. the Lions lost a third-round pick next year to get Carry On Johnson. You could you could technically argue.
1: Right. Sure. Um, that fourth round pick ended up being Deshaun Hand from from Alabama, joining Aishon Robinson, his his old line mate uh, in Detroit. Uh, you finish off in the fifth round with Tyrell Crosby, a tackle from Oregon, and then that position that everybody uses in the NFL these days, Nick <laughs> Baden, uh, full, fullback from uh, San Diego State. And I uh, skipped over Tracy Walker, the safety from Louisiana Lafayette. Um, Aside from Hand, who you're probably expecting something from, any of these other guys looking in to come make some kind of immediate impact for you?
2: Well, I would have said Nick Boughton because the Lions actually have, you know, they've made it pretty clear that they want to bring the fullback position back to Lions football. They, they essentially used a, a linebacker last year as a makeshift fullback. Uh, for about 20 snaps total last year they were gonna make it a big priority this year but unfortunately Baden got injured in minicamp um, reports are that it's a it's a torn ACL oh wow the team hasn't the team hasn't discussed it at all they they haven't put him on IR or anything yet but it doesn't look good for the guy outside of him I think Tracy Walker probably plays special team snaps in his rookie year um definitely one of their more interesting picks because that's a guy that literally, I think 90% of Lions fans hadn't heard of and surprised a lot of draft next to that. He went that early. Um, Louisiana Lafayette, obviously a small school. He's a really speedy guy. He has some position versatility, but he's going to be very, very raw. And he, there was actually quite a bit of mistakes on tape for him and to, for him to have those mistakes at a small school, very worrisome, but it's interesting. They had the, uh, you know, they have those war room cameras on NFL Network. Sometimes when when the team makes a pick and just shows them how excited they got, they were really, really pumped when Tracy Walker fell to them. And so that makes me think maybe some other teams had an eye on him too. But I don't quite see it yet, and I don't think we're going to see it in 2018 what he really has. But uh, he's definitely a name to kind of keep an eye on um, in 2019 and beyond. But I don't think you're really going to see. Any other immediate contributions, like Tyrell Crosby is going to be nice depth. He can also play tackle and guard, but he shouldn't be playing in his rookie year unless something goes drastically wrong.
1: So, I mean, was he like a workout warrior or something? Did he go to the senior bowl and blow everybody's mind? I mean, how does a guy that wasn't impressive on tape get himself into the 80s and pick number in in the third round?
2: Your guess is as good as mine. I I mean, we've tried (laughs) to do some deep diving on Tracy Walker. One is that he's related to Darius Slay. Uh, I don't. I don't think Slay has that much pull where he can get the the lines to draft a guy that he knows. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, he. I mean, athletically speaking, he has everything he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's what the, the. He's he's definitely going to be very raw, and it's going to take at least a year, I think, for him to be, you know, ready to even be a, a rotational guy. The, the one thing that I will say about him is that, Matt Patricia really really loves big safeties, and that's that's where I think Tracy Walker projects to to be. And, and like I said, he has all the physical attributes. And, and I think I, I, Patricia likes to play with three safeties on the field a lot. So there's a chance he could get some playing time in his rookie year. But I think you're really looking for a 2019 breakout year for that guy.
1: So we move on to the uh, to the schedule now. And uh, we're looking at the, uh, you know, 2018. We get the uh, the AFC East and the NFC West. Uh, for our nfc north uh, teams here and um you know just looking at the uh the start of the schedule there you get one of each to start off there um to you got the 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 jets on monday night football which is interesting and uh then you go on the road at san francisco to take on the 49ers then back home for the patriots on sunday night uh football the first three weeks it's a It's an interesting way to start off the year for you guys.
2: Yeah, and you know, I I like I like having the Jets there to open the season. It feels like a nice buffer game where, you know, if if the Lions are going to be a a contentious team in in the twenty eighteen season, they better win that game pretty convincingly, especially at home, especially to open the season with the with Ford Field rocking on a nationally televised game. If they don't win that game convincingly, it could set the tone in a very bad way. But if if they do win, like they, like they absolutely should. No offense to any Jets fans out there listening, and I don't know why they'd be listening. But uh, if, if I think it, it should be a good tone setter for the team. Um, but then, yeah, going on the road with 49ers, which is a team you don't really know what to expect from this right. year. And then another nationally televised game against Patricia's former team, again at home, uh, if. If this team is... I mean, even going to the next two games right before the bye, at Dallas, at home versus the Packers, that's a lot of litmus test games right at the beginning of the season. And if yeah. they come out of that 3-2, and two, they're in good shape. If they come out 2-3, and three, you know, maybe maybe they get in contention down the stretch. But anything less than that, then, then there's real big trouble happening early on in the season and uh, reason for panic, I would say.
1: Right. But but looking at these first five games, you know, five teams, the Jets, the 49ers, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Packers, all of these teams have question marks around them. Obviously, the Patriots being the most solid of the bunch, but the Jets, what kind of team will they be? Will Darnold be starting week one? Uh, against you guys what effect will that have on the team like you said the 49ers will they continue the upward trajectory that they were on winning the last five games three of those victories against playoff teams last year the patriots you know will all this mess that's been kind of clouded over them during the offseason carry over into the year at all will they be able to focus like they always do and win football games the cowboys for the first time in a long time Can you name anybody who's catching passes for the Cowboys right now? You know, or anybody that's worthwhile. I mean, I got Cole Beasley, and that's about it as far as being catching passes for the Cowboys right now. And then the Packers, Aaron Rodgers is back. Aaron Rodgers is healthy, but, you know, what what will they be this year? I mean, Joe Philbin's coming in. He's calling the plays. You know, will Mike McCarthy be able to keep – you know, keep his, you know, be that chef that stays out of the kitchen and left Joe Philbin do it, or will he, you know, take over the play calling because he's done it before? He hand over the play calling and only to take it back, kind of thing. You know, will he be able to do that, and how will that affect the team? So on and so forth. So it's not unreasonable to think like, okay, you know, well, I could see maybe two and three here, but at the same time, it's just like, man, things bounce the right way. We could be four and one going into the uh, going into the bye week in early bye week, week six for you guys.
2: Yeah, I mean that. That I think should really be the goal of this team. If, if they're really going to take the next step, like three and two has to be a must. Four and one should be the expectation. I think you're absolutely right, and and that's certainly high expectations for for a Lions team to be four and one against teams like the Patriots and Cowboys and Packers, um, notoriously very good franchises. But this is the reason why they brought Matt Patricia in, and I'm not saying they have to be an 11-5 team in his first season for for him to be a success, but. You know, th- this is a team that's just been middling around in mediocrity and, and they don't want it anymore. And maybe it'll take a year or two for Patricia to land on his feet and, as a first time head coach. But I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like, 4 and 1 is certainly within the realm of possibilities. And if they're serious about becoming a, a serious franchise in the NFL, a serious contender in the NFC North, then yeah, they got to come out this at least 3 and 2. Yeah,
1: because aside from the, the Packers, I mean, the, the schedule is pretty light on division teams until you get pretty much into the. The second half of it, you got your Week Six bye. You're at Miami. You're home for the Seahawks, and then your second uh, division game takes place Week Nine. So yeah. I mean, the first eight weeks of the season, you only play one division game, and then it's you know in the last eight games of the season, you play five uh, division games. So it, it's going to be a lot of important football being played in the latter half of the year for the Lions. Uh, you got you're at Minnesota at Chicago. Home for the Panthers, and then the Bears are coming to visit for Thanksgiving this year, which should be mm-hmm. interesting. But <laughs> uh, you know, you're you got that three game home stretch there with Carolina, the Bears for Thanksgiving, and then the Rams uh, to start off December. Um, it, it's it's an interesting schedule coming out of the bye. You got Miami and, and Seattle would have a lot of question marks there. You're going to Minnesota as the only team undefeated in the stadium thus far, <laughs> and then you're at Chicago for the first time, Week Ten, only to come right back around. You're at home for Carolina, and then the Bears for the second time in eleven days.
2: Yeah, that's gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: so we uh, you know, it was like, uh, what's today? Today's the 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 fifth. Of July, we don't see you again until November. So it'll be four months before we talk again. But then only be like four days if we talk again after that, <laughs> because we're playing pretty much back to back games, doing the that old school NFL where we're playing twice in three weeks.
2: Yeah, and and those Bears games, Bears Lions games are always rough. They like, are. Even though the Lions have won, even though, and I, I hate to bring this up, but I'm definitely going to bring this up. The Lions have won nine out of ten <laughs> games against the Bears. Yep. They always always seem to give us uh, quite some trouble, and someone always comes out injured or bruised up or (laughs) something that just irritates me the next day, even if the Lions win. Yeah. Uh, So the fact that that's happening twice in 11 days is is not something I'm personally looking forward
1: to. Right. I mean, the, the thing that's most interesting about the rivalry between our two teams is that they're always close games. They're always interesting, fun, like down to the wire games. I mean, the second meeting between our two teams last year, 20-10, to 10, is probably the widest margin of victory we've seen in the series in quite a while. So, you know, for it to yeah. come out uh, like that, I mean, like the first game of the season uh, between the teams, it came down to the barth and that field goal, or it goes to 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 overtime with Trubisky making that bananas run on fourth and 13. I mean, how amazing was that? I mean, Chicago fell. I I had a different
2: word for it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure you did. You
1: know, a couple of guys missing some tackles there. And, you know, Trubisky put a move on a guy and all that kind of stuff. But it's just like, you know, it's like we were already kind of, you know uh, enamored with the kid but for him to get 19 on fourth and 13 and save the game at that point it's like oh well he walks on water now so i mean thank you detroit for that so uh but i mean it it has always been an interesting rivalry especially over the last six seven years uh between the teams and uh, i mean i i always look forward to playing the lions because i know it's going to be a fun game no matter what
2: yeah yeah and as much as i i tease the bears and as much as the the games do frustrate me. I do I do enjoy that it's it's a rivalry that both teams kind of need right now because yeah. you know both both teams haven't had a lot of success recently and to have that kind of rivalry where where it's up for grabs every every year is, is fun it, yeah it's, it's something that the lions haven't really had for a long time and i know the bears would probably wish it was a the packers or the vikings where where their true rivalries land but having an evenly matched rivalry is something that i think is underrated in the nfl just because it's something that that's fun every year it's something that's competitive and you you get to know some of the fans from the other side and, and tease them all year but sure. uh yeah i I like, I like the Lions-Bears rivalry, even even if uh, the games tend to frustrate me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so after that three-game homestand with Carolina and Chicago on Thanksgiving and then the Rams in the December football game, you got three out of the four on the road to finish out the year. You're at Arizona, at Buffalo. Last game of the year at home against the Vikings just before Christmas and then finishing off the year. Stop me if you've heard this before, against the Packers. So... You know, because I know that we're playing Minnesota in Minnesota for the third year in a row. Uh, I know that you're on the road as opposed to being home for the last couple of years. But it's Lions Packers and Bears Vikings for the third, fourth year in a row. Uh, I wish that the uh, the NFL would kind of mix it up a little bit.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, too. And uh, if, if I say I'm frustrated with games against the Bears, I'm three times as frustrated when we're playing the Packers, especially playing in Lambeau December 30th. Not going to be a good outlook for that game. Um, The Lions have played the Packers twice, I think, in the past four years with the division on the line. And it hasn't really gone the Lions' way either time. And so if the division is on the line again in Week 17 against the Packers, it's going to be exciting, but I'm not expecting necessarily a good outcome. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, I would love, I'd love to play the Bears or I'd love to play the Vikings. And obviously, it's best to have a division game there on Week 17 just in case something, someone is playing for the division. That makes things exciting. But, yeah, give the Packers a rest. I don't I don't want to be playing them in December anymore. Right, yeah. Whether it's no, in Detroit I, or Green
1: Bay. Right, no, I get <laughs> it for sure. I mean, I just, uh, you know, especially for, for us as Bear fans, three years in a row we're finishing the season uh, in Minnesota, which historically the Bears don't win in Minnesota, like ever. So, I mean, we've won twice. I mean, this very much like Minnesota barely ever wins in Chicago. You know, they've won maybe two or three times in the last decade that I can think of off the top of my head. Two victories in Minnesota in the last 10, 12 years. One in 06, the year that we went to the Super Bowl. And 2011 was a, a meaningless win when, the, the first of all, the Vikings were terrible, and we were already out of the playoff run, so it didn't really even matter. So, I mean, we haven't won a meaningful game in Minnesota, and the we, the one in 06 was uh, like week three or something like that. So, I mean, you know, but it's like we always lose in Minnesota. So, as a Bears fan, knowing the history, you see that we're finishing the year in Minnesota, which means more than likely we're going to finish the year with a loss because the bears don't win in Minnesota. So, and then like you just said, you know, it, we've the, the last couple of years, we've had a, an important game on with the division on the line or a playoff berth on the line. And we got to go through green Bay to do it. Well, goddammit, it. That doesn't work out for us. So how about we get somebody else on there for a change? So, you know, it's like, you look at that and you, you, you get it. I enjoy the, you know, one of the few things that Goodell has done that I do like is finishing the year with a division opponent. But I know you only got 3 choices, but let's mix it up a little bit. I mean, it wouldn't kill you for us to have to play Green Bay or Detroit instead of always being Minnesota, and in your case it's always Green Bay.
2: And you know what? I'll I'll tell you what. If if the Bears let us sweep you guys again, maybe we'll give you the secret to winning in Minnesota.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe that would be helpful. You know, it's uh that would be great. You know, you're undefeated in that brand new pretty stadium that they're in right now. So, yeah, it might be it might be good to know what the key is out there and. uh in 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 in, in, i don't know maybe it's just the fact that you're a dome team so you get it i don't know but uh you know we have a hell of a time (laughs) winning football games in minnesota it's always been a pain um because the one time that we did win i actually we won in 2010 actually but that was when they were when the metrodome exploded or whatever the hell happened to it and the uh and uh, we were playing in, in in beaver stadium or whatever the hell it's called out there and uh in, in Minnesota, outdoors in front of like 30,000 people. So it was uh, not the same thing. So, but um, anyway, so I mean, as we wrap things up here, you know, as a Lions fan looking at this new coach, uh, trying to balance out the offense by adding a running game, you, you draft a running back, you go out and sign a guy that's a short yarded stud, uh, also bringing in, you know, some of that good juju having won two straight Super Bowls with two different teams, you, you keep your offensive coordinator. Uh, your your head coach is a defensive-minded guy who's had great success in New England with a lot of moving parts out there as well. So, I mean, he's kind of moving gaze in and out of the lineup, and yet New England's one of the consistently better defenses in the league. Where are you guys thinking this year going into this?
2: I think for this team, is certainly contending for the division. Um, if you're looking at the roster compared to last year, I, I'd say it's improved, but not dramatically so. So I do kind of expect kind of another middle-of-the-road season, which I know is going to frustrate a lot of Lions fans that are expecting Matt Patricia to kind of come in wave his magic wand and everything, and suddenly we're the Patriots of the NFC. Um, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. The the one thing, and you kind of just touched on it right there, is that Matt Patricia has been able to to create top, t- literally every year in New England, he had a top-ten scoring defense, and he did it with kind of limited parts. You know, you don't have a lot of standout guys on defense that kind of – save all their money for offensive guys like Gronk and Brady and all that sort of stuff. So they, they don't really have a ton of standout guys, and the Lions do have a couple guys. You know, they have Darius Slade, they have Ezekiel Anza if he can stay healthy. Um, they have, I think, one of the most underrated safeties in the, in the league in Glover Quinn. Uh, so he has some parts there. The rest of the parts are kind of, the, the supporting cast is really not that good, though. So that's where Matt Patricia is really going to have to you know, work his magic, and I just don't think he gets it done in the first year. I think we're looking at maybe, yet again, another 9-7 and season. But I do think this team is a little bit better. The problem is this division is just really tough. The Bears yeah. are going to be better. The The Vikings are going to be at least as good, I think. And and the Packers are going to have Aaron Rodgers at least for a little bit. Hopefully, I mean, I don't want to wish injury on the guy. So I'm not going to say hopefully for a shorter season. But, you know, you, you expect Aaron Rodgers to be around for the full season. And that means they're going to be better this year, too. So it's it's a tough schedule. It's a tough division. And I just don't think the Lions roster can match up to the Vikings I don't think anyone's in the divisions can match up to the Vikings and so I'm expecting you know maybe a ceiling of 11 and 5 but that would you know everything would kind of have to go right there I'm expecting kind of more middle of the road as I've always said if Matthew Stafford plays 16 games this team won't lose more than 10 games Uh, so I think really as long as Stafford is healthy this team goes 7-9 at the worst but I think expectation is right right around 9-7 and again this year
1: you you, uh you kind of touched on it i mean uh it's it's something that i've kind of been you know hanging on to to talk to about with you and 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 evan uh, western from the acne packing company chris gates who i talked to next uh for the vikings and the daily norsemen and such because we're in this division together um you know it's like there's been a lot of hype and i've been talking about it myself about how the bears are kind of shaping up to be mirror images of the rams uh, a year ago you got this young offensive minded coach you got a defensive guy that you bring in to kind of you know steer that ship and you you know you worry about the defense i'll take care of the offense bring in a lot of new offensive weapons for that young quarterback to throw to uh, to go along with the running game that was already awesome before you got there and let's see what happens kind of thing but as we touched on and i talked about this a bit with evan you and i talked about a little bit before we started recording the NFC North is not, or actually, I should say, the NFC West is not the NFC North. You know, it's it's a much tougher division. And I, and I think I, I mentioned to Evan that, you know, I fully expect us to be in the discussion, us as in you and I and, and everybody, as the best division in football this year. I really think that's what we have in our hands here. The Bears are definitely going to be better than they were last year. If not as far as wins and losses are concerned, they're certainly going to be a hell of a lot more exciting. Uh, to watch with what we plan to put on the field offensively, you know what what will Matt Patricia bring to the to the to the team? You know with that with that new defensive mentality, bringing in you know Blunt to follow him. Well, actually, he didn't follow him from New England, but they know each other. They were together in New England at one point to help you know so, you know solidify or balance out the offense so it's not all on Stafford. You know, can Kirk Cousins you know recreate the magic that Case Keenum seemed to have? last year if he does then watch out for Minnesota and then as we said before Aaron Rodgers being back is good for at least three wins you know for for the the Packers who were seven and nine last year so I mean it's there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this division where it's like right now it's easy it's an easy call to make the Vikings were the best team in the division by a lot last year they only seem to get better in the offseason so obviously they have to be the pick going in but all of these questions and everything surrounding the Bears the Lions and the Packers coming in it's not going to be an easy road for the Vikings to get back to 12 and 4 or whatever they were a year ago
2: yeah and you know this time of year all 32 fan bases are optimistic right they they're, they know their team is going to be better in 2018 than they were in 2017 but I feel like the NFC North they really like every team has a case yeah for for that to actually be true and you know whether it's changing of the head coaches whether it's getting a brand new quarterback whether it's getting your you know best quarterback in the league arguably back for 16 games like those are all really good reasons to to expect improvement and I I just I'm both eager and completely just utterly afraid of what this division is going to be going forward because it's going to be crazy and it sucks because it feels like this is finally the Lions' time where they're ready to take that next step. But unfortunately, everyone around them is taking that next step too. And you just wonder you know, who's going to come out on top because it could be different every year going yeah. forward with the way things are going.
1: I mean, we really could become the black and blue division all over again just because these teams are going to be good enough that we're beating the crap out of each other you know, for six games out of the 16 every year. And we might struggle against everyone else because we're too busy beating the hell out of each other. So, I mean, I hope I'm, that's not
2: true, but
1: it very well could be. You know, it 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 was a it was a worthy name when when it came out, the black and blue division with the the, the Packers, the line, even God forbid the the Buccaneers back in the day when they were part of the old NFC Central uh, and everything. It was a juggernaut to get through that division. Everybody was was good against each other, and and that's kind of been the case for the most part. Some rivalries have been better than others over the years, but. You know, the games are always tough. It's it's traditionally one of the tougher divisions to have to go through uh, each and every year. And, uh, you know, this seems to be a year where it really could be something very interesting uh, to watch because there's a lot. If if everybody lives up to their potential, it's going to get ugly for the rest of the league out there
2: absolutely and if if not that this year then it's definitely going to be next year because like i think a lot of people are expecting the bears to be better this year yeah but a lot of people are expecting the bears to be good like straight up good in 2019 and i i can't disagree with them
1: right well i i from your lips to god's ears my friend i definitely hope to. that's true <laughs> so um you know so jeremy we appreciate you uh coming back again it's uh it's gonna be a while before we get a chance to talk again. We don't play again until Veterans Day, November the 11th. So that week, uh, leading up, week number 10, uh, will be the next time we get a chance to uh, to have you back on. But uh, between here and then, those first eight games uh, that you got, go ahead and give them hell. And then uh, when you come to uh, Chicago, once you uh, take the day off, and uh, you know we'll we'll see you at Thanksgiving. How's that sound?
2: Well, well, we'll see.
1: Okay. All right. So uh, where where can we uh, find you online, uh, Jeremy? Are you in, involved with the, the POD cast still?
2: I am, yep. I'm still one of the three co-hosts for the, the POD cast, again, horribly named because it's impossible to search for. <laughs> uh, but just search Friday Detroit on your on your podcast aggregator and you can find us Uh
1: It's a stroke Um, of genius. Yeah, it's it's a stroke (laughs) of genius and yet the biggest mistake all at the same time, which is what's so brilliant about it. It's like P O D cast, that's genius. It fits and then it's like, (laughs) Oh crap, nobody's gonna be able to find us ever. So yeah, it's uh that's really that's really great that it worked out that way.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly my thought process. I thought I was the smartest man in the room and it turned out I was the dumbest. But <laughs> that happens more often than I'd like to admit. Right. Uh, but yeah, pride.detroit.com um obviously all of our, our non-audio uh, content, a lot of articles coming out every day. And and if you want to just kind of hear my general food and sports and TV, you can find me at Detroit Online at tw- on, on Twitter as well.
1: All right, Jeremy Reisman, our great friend from the Pride of Detroit, and uh, as I always say, despite your allegiances, I, I tend to like you, Jeremy. So uh, I uh, look forward to having you back uh, when we get ready to do battle for the first time, week number ten, my friend.
2: You're you're one of the good ones too,
1: <laughs> Jeremy Reisman, Pride of Detroit, helping us preview the 2018 Detroit Lions. Enjoy having Jeremy on the show, but it'll be a while before we see him. Almost four whole months before we talk to Jeremy again. But we talked to him twice in, inside of like ten days because we play like week, uh, week, uh, week ten. I said uh, so November eleventh, and then we play on Thanksgiving. So we'll be talking again on a short week. Uh, you know, pretty much back to back for the most part. And uh, looking forward to uh, to that Bears Lions game playing on, on Thanksgiving. That's that's always a good time and. Uh, you know, the only thing better than, than football and food on Thanksgiving is watching your team play and win on Thanksgiving, which is hopefully what will happen for our beloved Chicago Bears week twelve when we travel up to uh, travel up to Ford Field and play the Lions uh, on Thanksgiving Day. So um that's going to do it, man. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Maybe Actually, more like more like Tuesday. We get it edited and posted and everything. Most of you won't get it until Tuesday uh, when Chris Gates, the defending NFC North champion Minnesota Vikings from the Daily Norseman, uh, will be joining us to help pre- preview the Vikings. And we'll talk about this Kirk Cousins acquisition, uh, talk about the subtraction uh, of Pat Shermer and how, how he thinks that might affect uh, the offense and, and bringing in their new O.C., did they get the right guy to help them move it along right there? And, you know, was he on board with Kirk Cousins coming in? How does he feel about the fully guaranteed $84 million three-year contract uh, that the Vikings signed him to as a dangerous precedent uh, for the Vikings to set? Or, um, you know, or is he on board? Did he want Case Keeman to come back, or is he good with Kirk Cousins and everything else in between? Chris Gates will be back with us on Tuesday uh, to talk about that, and then... We close it all down. Our good friend Lauren Cox from Pro Football Focus and Locked on Bears podcast, bearswire.com. The guy's got a resume longer than my arm, and he's not even, I don't even, like, what, 21, 22? It's very impressive, and we look forward to having him back. We always love talking Bears with him. He'll be here to help us wrap it all up, and we preview the 2018 Chicago Bears, and then it's on to training camp, the preseason, the regular season, getting it down to the nitty-gritty, and I can't freaking wait, man. I cannot wait, so... That is going to do it for part two with the Lions. We'll be back for part three with the Vikings on Tuesday. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
2: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that
0: exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting.